homelessness has become one of the biggest social epidemics in America, nearly 600,000 and growing in towns and cities across the nation, including children and entire families. Today, we hear from Tony Cruz, a behavioral health expert who has spent decades pioneering breakthroughs in how we think about it and what we do about it in the name of humanity. From Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the same party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Tony, we're thrilled you're joining us from Los Angeles. Now, because my co-host Justin Safey and I are zooming in from Florida, and our studio engineer, Fabian, is manning the controls from Washington, D.C., we can now say with full authority that 13th and Park is being brought to you coast to coast. How's that? <laughs> I had, to, had to do that. It just felt good. Yeah, <laughs> coast to coast. That's the way we roll now. Sounds good. Tony, thanks so much. It's really great to have you with us. Homelessness is a problem that many cities are facing and have faced for a long time. It's something that uh, obviously uh, impacts economic development, but it also is something that it seems that it's been one of these intractable problems. But can you just help our audience and our listeners understand a little bit about the history of the problem and how we got to be where we are today? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for having me on this topic. I'm very passionate about this, and I think we all need to be at this time with this epidemic of homelessness just increasing. But a little bit of the history, and I know that a lot of people won't know this, but back in the 1800s was the first point of time that we recognized homelessness. The people in the 1800s back in those days were called tramps. They were mm. called tramps because they were moving out of the farming industry and coming into the cities looking for work, the industrial revolution. And then the whole industry of the railroad came. So these guys would hop on the railroad trains and run to various cities looking for work. So that was the first case of recognizing homelessness in the United States of America. And back in that day, Skid Row was a very busy industrial area where the trains came. So these people came here to work. They lived in very cheap rooms wherever they could live. And then later on, the word hobo was invented. So they went from tramps to hobos. The hobo industry is saying that back in that day that most of these people were housed in what they consider jails. They weren't really under arrest, but it's where they would go to sleep at night. So all across the country, these homeless people or hobos would go to the jail at night to sleep and then go out and look for work in the morning. <laughs> so that's really how all of this started in the 18th century. Since then, there's been a lot of legislations passed. You know, Congress got involved in 1982 and started investigating the slums. Theodore Roosevelt did a forming housing commission. The first federal legislation, Stuart B. McKinney on Homeless Assistance Act was 1977. 
2009 was the Hearth Act. 2010 was the Obama's federal strategic plan. 63% of Americans today are living paycheck to paycheck. 58% of Americans have less than $5,000 in savings. So you always hear when you're talking about homelessness about this could happen to anyone. This trend of housing not being affordable affects everyone. Like you just said, you miss a couple of paychecks and you fall prey to this. Are there arms there to help you? Well, there could be. It depends on how you know how to navigate the system and how people advocate for you. If you don't have that, more than likely you won't know what to do to get housing. I do believe that there are elements of housing that are available. The most easiest to get is emergency shelters. In some cases, they're still full. So what do you do? You have no other choice but to get a tent or couch surf. It's just not so easily available as we would want it to be. You went through that history. And while I was interested in the history going back so far, but also the more recent history of the increased efforts by multiple administrations, the McKinney Act in the 1970s, the efforts by the George W. Bush administration in 2002, efforts by the Obama administration 10 years ago, and yet the problem is getting worse. What would you say are the top one or two reasons why, despite all this effort by so many governmental entities, the problem seems to be getting worse? People just don't get up in the morning and decide, I just want to be homeless for the rest of my life. So we have to look back at what happens to people who fall into homelessness. I always say that there's situational homelessness that they will always be there. You touched on it. You lose your job. You know, you, you get a divorce and your wife kicks you out. You go through some trauma and you just kind of have a mental health condition that you don't bounce back for. You have a hospitalization and while you're in the hospital, you lose everything. These are situational homelessness that I think many states can handle. These people can rapidly recover from the situation and move on. They might need a temporary place to stay. They may even still need permanent housing, but it's a fix. More importantly are the chronic homeless. That's the issue here is when I have been living in chronic homelessness for years, and now you want to get me out of it. Well, some people don't even know how to live independently at that point. But a real home with a real key and a real door can persuade somebody to move out of a tent. There is an encampment that's been created in Washington, D.C. on a federal park called McPherson Square. The National Park Service just announced that they are going to clear the folks that are in that encampment with those tents from McPherson Square by February 15th. The interesting statistic that I saw in the news clip about this was that the D.C. government has funded 2,400 housing vouchers in 2022, last year, 2,400, but only 600 of those were used, that they still had 1,800 housing vouchers that were not used. Some of the vouchers that don't get used is because the voucher does not pay for the rent that the owner or the landlord wants. Mm -hmm. um, there is fewer and fewer slots for housing that the voucher can afford, given the gentrification of the city. So basically a voucher pays X amount 
but the landlord wants more. So that voucher wouldn't get used until that person could find a housing component that matched that voucher payment. So that is what's happening across the country, not just in Washington, DC, it's across the country that housing vouchers are there. There's amount of money attached to the housing voucher. And in many cases, they stretch it as far as they can, but the rentals in the area of a metropolitan gentrified city does not match the amount of the voucher. Well, one of the biggest stories in the country today, certainly on homelessness, comes from the West Coast, from Los Angeles, where Karen Bass, a newly elected mayor, has made combating homelessness and finding a real long-term solution to it her number one priority. It wasn't just on the list of priorities. It was her number one priority, as some estimate there are over 41,000 people who are homeless in Los Angeles today. So let's cue the clip. Nearly 70,000 people are unhoused in Los Angeles County. 40,000 of them are in the city of L.A. alone. This is according to data released by the city in September. Newly sworn in mayor Karen Bass is making the unhoused her top priority. During her campaign, she said she would, quote, deal with homelessness like it's a hurricane. Day one, as I said yesterday and as I said throughout the campaign, on day one, I would declare a state of emergency. I actually haven't even been to City Hall yet. It shows the people of Los Angeles that we are united and serious about the city's crisis of homelessness. Well, Tony, she is serious. Uh, she just announced that she intends to get 17,000 of those homeless off the streets in year one. I think it's fair to say everyone's rooting for her. What is she facing out there? What is she confronting? And why might her particular background actually in social activism, how might that serve her well as she tries to cure something that's been bedeviling that part of the world for a very long time? She is definitely the person that could make this happen. She has a track record of pulling interagencies together. She's trying to knock down the bureaucracy of agencies working together which has been a real issue for providers like myself here in California, that would make a huge difference because service providers would be there to do what she says she needs service providers to do. So I think she understands exactly what the problem has been. And when I look at and when I read about her and her plans, she's definitely put very smart people in place that understands how this could work and even why it hasn't worked. What do you think, Tony, it would take to address the chronically homeless people in Los Angeles? I think that there are very intensive services that are needed that they must have to be able to survive independently. Most of these people are coming, as you guys know, with major untreated mental health conditions and major substance use disorders they probably wouldn't fare very well just be moved into their own units. Again, the mayor has addressed that, but I'm very interested in seeing who the partners of social services will be and what services would be offered to them. Of course, many of these services have this bureaucracy of insurance payments and one person I can serve, the next one I can't. So I'm eager to find out how she makes that work for the providers like myself. I'm not trying to equate these two things, Tony, 
that, you know, Justin and I coming from Florida, when we think about a challenge, usually the word hurricane <laughs> comes into play pretty quickly. And I was reading recently in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, as has been the case in many past natural disasters like this, how difficult it is for people that were dramatically impacted, many of whom were made homeless, can't seem to find the help they're looking for from the bureaucracy you're talking about. If you're homeless, how do you get smart? Or is there an expectation that others have to create that knowledge base for you to understand what it's going to take to access the services you're talking about to try to make a difference in their lives? I think that homeless people are very resilient. They have to be. The primary thing that a person who is homeless is thinking about is their safety and where they're going to sleep that night. And if they're going to eat or if they can take a shower or if they don't get hurt that night. And if they had the time that you and I have to not worry about those things, I think that they could do a lot more for themselves. But because they're busy on the survival mode, they need people to help them. There are long applications sometimes to get into a service. You have to go through intake processes. One provider may not be able to do something that another one does. So now you're running from provider to provider. All of your things is in one place and you don't want to leave them. So what do you choose? Do you choose to go to multiple service providers to get this? Do you choose to make sure your stuff don't get lost? Do you choose to be safe? Do you choose to eat? Um, those are the choices that they have. Some people choose to work hard at not becoming homeless. Others choose to survive on the streets where they are right now. Tony, are there any bright spots across the country that you're aware of? Is there any government or is there any program that maybe people haven't heard about that's having some level of success somewhere in the country? Well, I think that there are great successes all over the country, to be honest with you. I think that there are specific programs. I think that there are specific interventions. I think that there are specific services that lots of providers provide to help. It's just that, you know, we don't hear about a lot of wins sometimes. We hear about the other stuff. So I would definitely say that there are providers like MBI Health Services and others who do a great job at doing this, who move people along in the system. We just don't celebrate it enough. It's not that important when somebody is in a house versus news is news, right? So yes, there are programs that work. Housing First works. Day treatment work. Intensive services work. Permanent housing works. Supportive housing is very important for this population. Program beds is really a hot deal for this. Do we need some other things? To make this work, we're going to need a lot more inpatient beds. Some of these people will need to go inpatient to get clean, detox. Some will need to go in to get their medication levels together and then come out to other treatment providers. So I think that that is key. People are doing a lot of work out here. I don't want to give the impression that work is not being done. I just think that it's probably not being measured as much as we should celebrate it. So you told me at one point, Tony, you were, I think you were talking about Skid Row, and you talked about it in the short history lesson you gave us earlier in the show. You said to me that to many that are in Skid Row today, they consider that their community, really interesting, 
it's not that they're necessarily looking for housing. They feel that in a way they've got a sense of community right there, as much as it is the services that have been absent that are the dividing line between where they are and where they want to be. So you're right. Skid Row is a community for the people who live there, especially the people who have been living there for many, many years. It is their community. Is it the community that they would choose that they had a choice? I'm not sure. Probably not. But because it is their community today, it's where they know where to get resources. It's where they know people. They have friends there. It's where they live. It's their community. Will moving be a big issue for some of them? Yes, it will. We know through many studies that when we move people out of their communities, it doesn't have to be Skid Row, it could be anywhere, and put them in a whole different community, they tend to self-isolate. And self-isolation brings on risky behavior sometimes, self-medication, et cetera. That's why I think it's important for these chronically homeless people that have lived in Skid Row that we make sure that we involve them in a sense of community as we move them into a higher level of living. Tony, thank you very much for joining us today. You know, you think of all the issues that are out there in the nation, many of which have become divisive between communities and states and the proverbial blue versus red. But this is not one of them. I think homelessness is one of those things that America wants to figure out with greater success moving forward. And we really applaud you for everything that you're doing. We are praying for the mayor of Los Angeles and others who are right there on the front lines of this battle. But this is not only an American problem, it's an American challenge. And I think we ought to look at it that way. Uh, Thanks, Tony, for being here. It's great to have you as a guest. Thanks for your insights. And it's been a really engaging conversation. Thank you. You guys have a nice day. And thanks again for having me. Well, Adam, I think we just heard from one of the people in this country who every day uh, is dealing with this issue to be a part of the solution of the problem of homelessness. I found it fascinating to hear about the history, but also the fact that there have been a lot of efforts over the last 50 years to address this problem, and it's continued to get worse. I think that it's a multifaceted issue. Affordable housing obviously is a piece of it, an important piece of it. But another piece of it is mental health services. Another piece of it is education in terms of the chronic homelessness to to be able to support themselves and and get a job. And then, you know, people fall into chronic homelessness and then they lose the ability to to live independently. I think this is a reflection on all of us, you know, how we take on a challenge like homelessness first with serious intent. That's where I think we would both applaud the mayor of Los Angeles in particular for how she has made this job number one. And some, I I was reading, I think in the LA Times, that 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 could be politically risky, that she's kind of putting her reputation on the line right up front on a problem that for many has been intractable. But think of the magnitude of the problem. In Los Angeles today, I was reading the average one-bedroom apartment costs $2,900 a month. That's the average one-bedroom apartment. The average home is over 900,000. So The affordability of housing itself is becoming a big issue that's impacting on homelessness. God forbid we move from an economy that still seems to be finding legs, despite the Federal Reserve, to one that maybe is really taking it on the chin. If that were to happen, we had like a severe recession, even worse. Can you imagine not being prepared, better prepared for homelessness than we are today? 
No, and I to your point about Mayor Karen Bass of Los Angeles, I, I I wish her well, and I applaud her for putting her political capital, putting her reputation on the line. Not a lot of elected officials would do that, so I say kudos to her for doing that. And the voters will get to judge if she's successful or not. But it sends a message to everybody in her administration in the mayor's office that this is something that they all need to be successful on or they'll be judged by the voters uh, for if they're not successful. So I think that's great. I wish more elected officials would do that because it does require a multifaceted approach that only a mayor or a governor or someone who's in the executive branch can execute and implement. Well, you know, it's what do they say the pace of the leader determines the pace of the pack or something. I'm probably blowing that metaphor, but something to that effect. She has made it very clear to all those under her charge in Los Angeles, get the job done. And it's all hands on deck. So if you want to look good in the eyes of the new mayor, you're going to be all in. Right. I think that's very, very important here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that for the city of Los Angeles is important in other cities, too, because the massive amount of homelessness also relates to people's perception of potential crime and lawlessness and that type it's a perception that exists and that impacts businesses and it impacts economic activity and that can have a negative impact on on a city especially in a post covid environment where i know for certain in the city of washington the mayor's trying to get more workers back to work in their offices as opposed to virtual work, because the city's losing a, a fair amount of economic vitality as a result of, of virtual work and perceptions of crime. New York City's having the same issue, and Los Angeles is having the same issue. So it's a problem that if she's able to solve it, hopefully other cities can learn from it, and then they can help rebuild these cities that have been negatively impacted by COVID. You talk about the human dimension of this, Justin. You know, 30%, it's been estimated 30% of the homeless are families and children, 30%. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of families that are sleeping in cars, sleeping in tents. Just imagine, as difficult as it is on the family at large, what it means to the children to grow up in any way, shape, or form in any part of their lives with that kind of challenge being an everyday one. Absolutely. And that has a downstream impact. Those children who don't have a home, don't have that stability, don't have that sense of security, that makes their lives more challenging and makes them more susceptible to bad outcomes. So I think that that's something that hopefully, if we can address this problem, we'll reap the benefits from it, not just now, but also in the future. The last thing I'm thinking about is, how would you define success? You know, if we're talking about like, Unemployment. When the unemployment rate falls to below 4%, that's considered full employment by a lot of economists. What is the metric, the number, where we feel we really have gotten on top of this problem and we have it more in our rearview mirror? What number is acceptable? There were these uh, business school professors from Stanford, I believe, who came up with this concept called big hairy audacious goals about 25 years ago right and you know i think that the big hairy audacious goal should be zero homelessness and that's addressing the transitional homelessness or that the temporary homelessness that that tony talked about and also the chronic homelessness why should any community why should we talk about the human dimension why should we one of the wealthiest countries in the world still the wealthiest i believe tolerate even one person being homeless there's already an enormous amount of resources being dedicated to this issue and there's another saying that your reach should always exceed your grasp 
And look, if they set the goal at zero, as a big, hairy, audacious goal, they may not get there, but it forces people. It's like John Kennedy saying, we're going to get to the moon by the end of the decade in the early 1960s. It forces you to invent things that have other impacts, positive impacts as well. So that would be my answer, zero. And it's a great number, by the way. And you know, we think in a country that's known for creativity and innovation, we would find a way to get there. Episode number 20, now coast to coast for the first time. And I want everyone to know that as much as we have announced we're going to profile a lot of mayors around the country, we also want to profile the challenges that they're facing. And that's why Tony Cruz today really shone a light on one of those big challenges. And I think if we think big and are ready to act big, we can actually go home big. Don't miss future episodes by following us on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms, or go to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe for free.